welcome back everyone. It's July. I am so sorry. I lost my job. A whole bunch of other stuff happened. I'm sure that people can totally sympathize. Uh, so this is Beta Rita 3. Hello. We are on RX80750 Errata. And this is episode 4. Woohoo. Max's long face seemed even longer when he got stressed. I was slightly distressed to see that scarecrow look happening now. Mac, look, this is totally doable. It'll take us a little while to get the tools and stage a drill plan, but that gives us time to get the crews together and bring on another foreman. The cost will be half trying to run the same terraforming ops that we have in the past, and we'll be able to balance it with increasing ore production and minimize the waste. He looked at the drawing I laid in front of him, and the tablet summary, and sighed. Never a good sign. Look, kid, I admire your enthusiasm. How are we going to get this approved? He ran his finger over the tablet and brought up the cost estimates. You know I can't assign you labor without union approval, and you know I can't get that under an experimental system. It's the whole reason we have the service run this weird shit. And you told Daniels to fire the service. He glanced at me. Which he's doing, like, right now. How did you do that, by the way? I shrugged. The soldiers were out. I wonder how much of the previous failure was just bad design and how much were scare kids throwing away the game because they didn't want to do the work. Whatever it was, it wasn't working. We need new blood in there, guys that have real experience and can handle what we give them. I pulled his attention to the drawing again. Don't worry about the funding. Ido gave me total freedom. See? Look. No exposure. This is a drill dig mission, just like millions before it. The only difference is me and some of the civvy techs will go messing around in the waste streams and change the settings on some equipment. I sat back. I can guarantee me and whoever I get for techs will be 100% committed to doing this right, and we can minimize the manpower like crazy. Mac barked a quick bite of laughter. How are you going to get a committed tech? You going to put a mind control device in her and make her a little clone of you? Another shrug from me. No, Mac, I'll just keep firing people until I find somebody with nothing left to lose. Isn't that how I got this job in the first place? Hmm. He turned back to the report, brushing his long fingers against the schematic of the tunnel layout. Sing, I still don't know how you're going to get the critters to move to the surface. Isn't that the whole point of terraforming? I stood up, frustration and impatience making me pace. No, the whole point of terraforming is to make someplace livable. Regenerate what's already in place. Wake up the planet. Nothing says it has to be on the surface. I threw my hands open in disgust. Why do we insist on treating every planet the same? Look, life finds a way. It can exploit almost every environment. But why not give it at least a better shot at starting? Humans can easily live underground. It saves us time, energy, liability, materials, everything. Frankly, it's stupid to try and keep doing what we have been. This is the first Class D planet to go full Terra. Why does everyone keep thinking it has to look like something that it's not? I sat down again in a huff. Why is this so difficult to understand? I hate people. He put the tablet down. All right, all right, you're making a good case. His face got long and tired again. I'll talk to Daniels. It might work. He sighed. Everything involves so much goddamn effort with you, Sing. Everything is so exciting. You wear me out. I'm an old man, you know. I snorted in disbelief. Old, my ass. You can't be more than 35. You're just ugly. He threw me out. Billy! I had to cut my hands and shout, standing on the wrong side of the tracks as the Michelin man careened down the line. Hey! 
Billy, you got a second? The fire plug of a man waved me over and pulled me into the fabrication shop, pulling out his earplugs. They dangled down his shirt where I could see identical brown streaks of earwax down his Kevlar chest plate in their wake. Ugh, gross. Make a note. Clean my chest plate more often. Hi there, Singh. We haven't seen you in forever. How are the bugs and bunnies coming? I smiled. I am in need of your excellent services, sir. A little brown nosing never hurt anything. Oh, yeah? He stripped off his gloves and motioned me into a little cubicle of an office. What you got? I handed him the design schematic I'd had the bear man's assistant draw up. Turns out he was an Apache from my old hometown, and his assistant was the most perfect, beautiful woman in the whole world. Perfect skin, perfect copper-colored hair, lovely cornflower blue eyes, smart as anything, and a great engineer. I hated her on principle. She was also barely 20. Felt old and ugly just looking at her. Billy made approving noises from the back of his throat and pulled out a pocket calculator, scratching some notes on what looked like a napkin using something that was not a grease pencil and resembled more like the earwax on the chest plate than an actual writing utensil. Again, make a note. Don't shake hands with Billy. Yeah, 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 we can do this. It's no problem. Did you clear it with Mel? Blondie, the little angry woman from Supply. No, not yet. I wanted to make sure you could build the stupid thing before I started setting up costs and such. He nodded. Yeah, yeah, this is no problem. It might take us about a month or two to work it into the fabrication schedule, but we can get it done. Yeah? Great. Here, give it back. Let me go see Blondie. He grinned at the nickname for his angry boss. He reminded me of a golden retriever, all sunshine and happiness. Come on back next week. We're having a barbecue over the pit, he shouted at me. Brendan's going to light the ink on fire so we can roast some dead stuff. You'll love it. Oh, yeah. Lighting hallucinogen on fire and cooking stuff on it. What could possibly go wrong? Why, lie to the nice man so you can get your toys. Sure, I said. Sounds great. Maybe if I got lucky, I would be hit by the Michelin man and instantly killed. Hope is a good thing. Daniels. Jared leaned back in his chair and waited for Mac. The guy said he liked to come up to Daniel's office because it gave him an excuse to eat a real meal and make sure they hadn't given his bunk away yet. Mac was a good guy, and a good chief engineer. Jared had been feeling a little guilty ever since his conversation with Singh. She put a bad taste in his mouth. But she wasn't wrong, he thought, resigned. And there's something strange going on with Ido and her. I may not be able to help with the Terra, but I can at least figure out what his game is. Mac's been working for the service for a long time. The man knows things. So, mainly for his own loneliness, he pulled a little rank, got a proper meal, some decent booze to make nice with the old chief. He opened another batch of files from Singh's personnel file. It was good reading, like a docudrama. Nothing but catastrophes, conflict, and ridiculous stories. He chuckled as he saw pictures of some of her creations next to the insubordination records. She's a dumpster fire. He hated to admit he was kind of enjoying the experience. And he'd just gotten the most interesting letter. From a major Johnson. He hoped Mac knew Johnson. Jared couldn't help feeling a little like he was back in high school, even with the seriousness and the scale of work they were doing. Still, there was a tap at the door plate, and he stood up to usher Mac in. The man looked tired and annoyed. Your girl is pissing me off, Mac said without preamble, and folded himself into one of the chairs. She's not mine. If anything, she's yours. Matt grunted and poured something to drink with an appraising stare at the resulting glass. Is this booze? Yep. Good. Mac drank a deep, 
Mac took a deep drink and closed his eyes appreciatively. She's blown the drill schedule, pulled fabricators off every job except for hers. She's even got supply under her thumb, and I can't get shit done. Gerald, Jared settled himself in an unconscious imitation of Mac, following his example and pouring some of the pale yellow liquid. It looks like piss. I hope it's not. I'm not biology's favorite person right now, and I wouldn't put it past them. He drank it anyway. To be fair, he said to Mac, her stuff is kind of more important. I don't know about you, but I want to eat something other than protein supplements at some point. Uncontaminated water that doesn't cost more than my salary per liter would also be nice. Mac made an indistinct noise of acknowledgement. I know, I know. I just hate it when people come in and kick my sandcastles. Damn girl is my assistant, and you'd think she was fucking queen down there. Jared smiled into his drink. Yeah, you and every supervisor she's ever had. What? Girl has a knack for pissing people off. Seems that if she's not in charge, she just sort of steamrolls into whatever she wants to do anyway. Sort of a theme for her. Huh. Mac picked at the fries, letting his fingers get covered in grease, and wiped them on his shirt after a moment. I think it'll work, though. I've been real impressed with her methods. I knew some academy environmental engineers before, back on Cygnus. I don't know what they teach them back there, but those guys were sharp. Real sharp. Had a sort of... I don't know, instinct for reactions that I never saw in any service or guild text. He shoved another fry in his mouth. It was kind of creepy, actually. Anyway, here. He reached down and dug in his bag for a moment, then handed Jared a reed or tablet smeared with fry juice and lit like a Christmas tree from schematics, a tunnel layout, and tunnel layout designs. Jared wiped it with his sleeve. What's this? Max seemed to sigh from his boots to his chin. That's what she wants. He went back to the food. 25 million credits, a new labor crew, command over a tech crew of four, new rigs, a new driller, and something else in there to start the bioreactors. They looked like alphabet soup, so I don't know what it actually is. He stretched out his legs. I never liked chemistry. And I don't know shit about this, but she seems convinced, so I told her I approve. Never had to run a terraform before, so I don't know nothing about nothing. Jared looked at the reader and let out a low exhale. 25 million? I mean, I told her to do whatever she wanted, but damn. The plan could have been in Greek, or that weird alien language the geeks at Earth were trying to learn ever since contact out at Cygnus. Completely unintelligible. So basically, we have a malcontent nerd with delusions of grandeur who wants to blow two-thirds of the whole planet's budget on a project neither of us understands. Matt grunted and nodded. Great. Why not? At least if I get fired, I can go back home. Jared chuckled to himself, appreciating the opportunity to screw Ida over. The general had given very specific instructions. Looking on the bright side. Oh, yeah. And judging by her history, if we tell her no, she'll just do it anyway and probably kill a lot of us in the process. Another nod from the big black man. Jared sighed and handled, handed the tablet back. Whatever, I'll approve it. At least it's screwing up in a different way. And if it's less dangerous, maybe that will win us some points in the court-martial. A pause. Do it. I'll write up the official approval tonight and post it in the morning. Max steepled his hands on his belly and stared deeply at Jared. What's the deal, Daniels? Why is she getting a blank check? And what's with all the holds on her personnel file? I tried looking some things up yesterday, and you know what I found? He paused for effect. Jared didn't answer. Nothing. I see she's got a medical travel hold and a do-not-resuscitate order. That's it. No kin, no history, 
This girl's been working for Service and Guild basically her entire adult life and part of her childhood, and there's not a single document in her file. You know who has files like that? Diplomatic department spooks. Criminals. R&D techs that never see sunlight. Not annoying engineers running terraform operations on fucking nowhere planets. Jared stared at his food. I know, and Ido's overseeing this operation personally. Ido hasn't overseen anything on Explorer personally. Ever. Not even when we had the accidents. Jared rolled his neck a little. I used my clearance to pull her closed files. All of her stuff is under a no-view order. And I used Ido's clearance to get it. Max's eyebrows went up, and Jared waved him off. Don't ask me how. There's something weird going on with the ink and transport, and I wanted to know what it was. Well, I didn't find anything. Just references to a medical facility near Hadar and some tech named Lutrin. I couldn't find any of the budget associated with the ink, though. Everything went through Ido's personal command codes, and I couldn't view anything. Max shook his head. Sounds like the general is skimming off the top. No way. He wouldn't be that stupid, right? Hero of the service, Ido? General at 40 Academy Wonderkind, Ido? Mac took another swig. I heard he's considering running for office. You need credit for that. Wouldn't be the first senior guy to see an opportunity. He's probably taking bribes from corporate, too. Lord knows we should have been shut down for safety violations ages ago. Unless someone's working the inspection process. Jared closed his eyes. Shit. Yeah, I know. But what's the deal with the girl? It can't just be about the ink, right? Max shrugged. I don't know, man. This thing is small time. She's not threatening production. Maybe he just wants to keep Explorer his own little honeypot and needs her to fix her up. How the fuck should I know? What did her personnel file say? Jared glanced down at his tablet. Oh, nothing really helpful. Lots of insubordination. Some issues with authority. Looks like she was hurt pretty badly on her first assignment and had a long recovery stint on Nightingale. Most people dislike her intensely, including me. There was only one supervisor who recommended her for promotion and tried to help her out. This was uh, Major Michael Johnson. You ever heard of him? He was out at Cygnus for a little while, around the same time you were, I think. Max shook his head. Not ringing a bell. Well, looks like he and Singh were more than just colleagues. Lots of rumors about an inappropriate relationship. He ended up transferring her for personal reasons. Still has a thing for her, evidently. Oh, Jesus, Daniels, who the fuck cares? We all have exes. It's just her bad luck that she was fraternizing with a superior officer. Shows bad judgment, but we've all done something equally stupid. Hey, this guy is the only one willing to talk about her. You don't want to hear about the letter I got from her? Mac applied himself to dinner. Nope, don't care. It's her personal life. She works. She gets the job done. What do I care what she does in her free time? She's a nobody engineer who suddenly managed to pull a planetary resource for a half-assed plan approved sight unseen by the most powerful man in the sector. And you don't want to hear what this Johnson guy has to say? Come on, Mac. I want to know what's going on, too. Besides, come on. It's interesting. Mac grunted. Fine. I feel like a perv, though. You'll get over it. Listen. To Major Jared Daniels from Major Michael Johnson. Major Daniels, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on your recent promotion and thank you for reaching out to me. Having some limited experience in the matter, I would also like to offer my technical expertise in managing such a complex terraforming operation. 
I was, as you know, one of the original developers of this particular technological system. Managing the crew associated with this type of work is complicated, and there are often second- and third-order effects that are completely unanticipated, and I would be happy to offer what little wisdom I've gained over the years. Regarding Engineer Singh, I was disturbed to hear of her recent demotion. During her time under my command, I was continuously impressed by her passion, commitment to service, and to the service, as well as her technical skills. She is still one of the best engineers I've ever served with, regardless of her somewhat checkered history. She does have a reputation for being difficult. However, her ingenuity and energy more than make up for some small issues with authority. I admit I have lost track of her over the years, and I was slightly disturbed to realize that she had been placed under your command. No comment on your leadership skills, I assure you, but the safety numbers at Explorer 3 could definitely use improvement. I am sure that you're doing all in your power to bring those numbers down. If it would not be too much to ask, may I periodically check in to see her, how her project is progressing? I would like to keep informed about her performance. Please don't hesitate to contact me if there's anything I can assist with as part of the CV-1 Explorer 3 terraforming project. Thank you again for reaching out. Respectfully, Major Michael Johnson, Hadar Team Commander. Both men were quiet as Jared stopped reading. Then Max said in a voice full of impatience and frustration, What the fuck does second and third order effects mean? To Major Jared Daniels from Major Michael Johnson. Daniels. Private Files. Daniels. I'm even sorry to ask this, but you have to help me out. I need to talk to Singh. I can't get access to her communication file, and the messages I've been sending to her admin supervisor are obviously not getting through. Please help me out. Mike. To Major Michael Johnson from Mayor Major Jared Daniels. Mike. You're putting me in a rough spot here. You know I can't just give out personal information like that. She's got some right to privacy, and if she's not answering you on the official comm, I can't help you. I'll talk to admin and see if there was a mix-up somewhere and she's just not getting anything. But I'm sorry, it's the best I can do, Jared. To Major Jared Daniels from Major Michael Johnson. Jared. Look, I know this doesn't make much sense, but Singh's skills are very, very unique. She may not be aware of her full capabilities, and both of you need to know what you're getting into before you put her anywhere near the proto-surface. I've read the report you sent me, and it's a good plan. Solid. I've made notes where I can, and I've got one of our most experienced chief running the numbers just to give you a warm fuzzy on the technical data specifications. But Singh should not go into the tunnels. Under no condition should you allow her direct contact with the proto-terra surface. The exact reasons are classified, but please believe me, Pull her off the field team. It's important. There was a reason we had her transfer to labs when her skills are obviously elsewhere. Mike. To Major Michael Johnson from Major Jared Daniels. Mike. Thank you for the review and the background data. I'll be reviewing it with my chief this afternoon, and we'll finalize our plans up to 90% and start our pilot tests by next week. Look, Singh has to lead the field team. I can see no reason why she shouldn't. She has a qualification, she knows a plan by heart, she can make adjustments on the fly. There is literally no one else that can take this job, and without her, we'll have to start evacuations. I have no ships, no emergency exit strategy has been approved, no emergency rations. I can appreciate your concerns, but I have no other option. Jared. To Major Jared Daniels, from Major Michael Johnson. Please don't do this. Thing, 
I was back home. My little modular room was filled with the odd purple-blue light of Rigel Cantaris, and the green plants looked black in the strong light. Spartan, soft, comfortable. My legs were stretched out on the couch, and I was lying on Michael's chest. Oh, hello. I smiled up at him. His eyes were half-closed and lazy. It was the older face I saw, the lined, quiet version of a man in his late thirties. It surprised me a little, as if I was expecting to see a different, younger face. I wondered if he saw me like that. Older, softer, more tired. But who is he? Yes, I do. His voice startled me. I see you as all those things. His arms settled more comfortably around me. Fortunately, I like you better for it. I snorted and thought of stupid Jill, the pretty engineer. His eyes opened a little and closed again. She's very pretty. Quit snooping in my head. I smacked his shoulder. Can't help it. You just sit there and shout your thoughts at me. What am I supposed to do? He made me smile and put my head back down on his chest. I could feel weariness, loss, and vague frustration rumbling around in him. You're upset, I said. Yes. He shifted in a way that said, I have to deal with things I don't want to, and they took up so much of my time. Why are you upset? He sighed and stroked my hair, running his fingers through the short locks. When we had first done this, my hair had been long, down to my waist, and thick. Shame. Because I spend all my time solving other people's problems and have nothing left for myself. I rested my hand on his stomach and felt his heartbeat pounding through the skin. He was very upset. I'm sorry. You should be. Most of this is your fault. His voice was shocked. Sharp. I sat up in surprise. Me? What did I do? Because one of my problems is finding out that you got assigned to one of the most dangerous stations in the universe, demoted, and just generally have a fucked up life. But you're not real. How can you know that? Who are you? Part of my mind didn't know him, but another part felt like felt him like a missing limb, something so familiar. He smirked as if understanding my confusion and swung his feet down to the floor, but didn't answer. These are just dreams, just random subconscious loops, not real conversations, I thought. Right? Of course they're real conversations, he said, and stood up to pace. Glancing at me, still sitting on the couch, he slowed and knelt in front of me, taking my hands gently. No one touched me, much less gently. It felt unnatural. Kasha, I always believed you when you said you could hear people through your implant, you know. Others have that same problem. Turns out a little tweak of the resonance combined with the right genetic mutation, and you can have a pretty effective communication device. Even across space. I snatched my hands back. You hacked my head? Vaguely uneasy and a little angry, I felt invaded somehow. Felt walls going up that I didn't know I had. Wait, stop! His face looked agonized. He threw a hand out as if to catch me. And I woke up. I hadn't been sleeping well over the past few nights. Nightmares about the terror event, worries about design calculations. I kept waking up to go back to the lab, check the chemical profiles. I even pulled my little hammock out of Mac's office and went back to my bunk, thinking the noise from the pit might be keeping me up. But I couldn't sleep for longer than a couple hours at a time. Exhausted and uneasy. Bad dreams, maybe, but I could never remember any of them. 
Evidently, I was starting to look pretty rough because one morning Mac took one look at me and ordered me back to bed. Go home, Sing. I was startled out of looking at the prototype schematics Billy had sent me. I blinked at him in confusion. I'd forgotten he was even there. What? I said cleverly. Go back to bed. You look like ass. You have a four-day weekend starting now. Go to your bunk, sleep, read, don't come back until you've had at least eight hours of real sleep and you get your personality back. But I have things to do. We're almost at 60% and I have to start the crew training and the tech selection and then there's a budget review with Daniels tomorrow. And I don't want to go to sleep. The dreams will come back. I shuddered a little at the thought. The big man simply walked over to me, picked me up, and threw me out of the office. Hey! And stay out! Well, fuck me. And I did what I was told. Something was wrong. The ship bucked and vibrated weirdly, making my interface implants vibrate with it. I could feel things flexing where they should not flex. Andrew. Andrew is flying. Something's wrong. I'd been standing in the mess hall making tea, but when the first shockwave hit, everything got thrown against the wall, and the weird ringing started in my head. I took off for the control center. Andrew lay crumpled against the main panel interface, unconscious. Drool and blood run together below the lip of the helmet. Maybe dead? I didn't know. I didn't think, but I ripped the jack from him, felt his body bow and scream, and linked up to the ship without resetting the pilot interface. Immediately, the world disappeared. Without the computer calibration to equalize the conflicting sensory shift to brainwaves, I was lost. My senses were gone. I was falling into black. I screamed into my interface, Initiate diagnostic recalibration and startup. Screamed it over and over again until the rush of terror and abused color stabilized and the sensory interface clicked into my pattern. Quasar. We'd fallen into a quasar. Light was everywhere. Blinding streams of hawking radiation blasted our little ship. I could feel it like sheets of fire licking at the skin. It was burning away our electromagnetic shielding and killing the bioneural sensors and environmental stabilizers with every second. I could feel the harshness like a belt sander against my skin. Gravitational ripples shot out in huge, randomly occurring pools. What looked like empty space would erupt into gravity wells like geysers within nanoseconds. The heat was burning the chemical propellants inside the tank faster than I could route it. We were going faster and faster into the depths of the light. We have to set down. Anywhere. Anything halfway hospitable would do. Otherwise, we would burn to death. I felt my senses reaching for anything solid in the maelstrom. Anything that could be a planet. I could stretch our poor chemical boosters into making and found something. As we slung around another gravity well, I could feel time warping, slowing down, stretching, and ripping the ship atom by atom as I boosted everything. Ion and chemical boosters fired, and I flung the sails heady into the radiation wind, like pointing the bow of the ship into the waves, aiming for a tiny, rocky world, just at the edge of my consciousness. The sails caught, and we moved faster and faster, stretching into infinity as we hit light speed. In my mind, I could feel space-time folding, almost like the universe was asking me where I wanted to go. I could see the fractal patterns of the universe coalesce for one shining moment, line up, and snapped to Rigel Kintaris' planet in the space of one heartbeat. We were just... there. One moment, we'd been ripping apart, caught in the molding of space-time. The next, we were sitting on the dirt on some godforsaken rock, looking at nothing. And then my head exploded, blood pouring from my eyes and nose, and I passed out. I started awake, gasping for breath. What was that? Where was that? It was so... 
real, so visceral. After the accident, I'd had to be transferred to Nightingale for head trauma, but they never found anything and told me that me not remembering anything before the accident was nonsense and there was nothing physically wrong with me. Was this me? Was this the accident? Had this really happened? Holy shit. I rubbed my face and just sat breathing at the edge of my bunk. It was so clear, painfully clear. I could literally feel my body and mind being stretched to the snapping point of non-existence, to see the texture of Andrew's blood. But who's Andrew? Smell the coppery tint in the helmet, everything. What had I done? Fuck, I have to go to medical. What is wrong with me? We go beyond the mathematical formula at our own risk. We may find a model or picture which helps us to understand certain universal truths, but we have no right to expect this, and our failure to find such a model or picture need not indicate that either our reasoning or our knowledge is at fault. The making of models or pictures to explain mathematical formulae and the phenomena they describe is not a step towards, but a step away from reality. It is like making graven, like making graven images of a spirit, and it is as unreasonable to expect these various models to be consistent with one another as it would be to expect all the statues of Hermes, representing the god in all his varied activities, to look alike. Some say that Hermes is the wind. If so, all of his attributes are wrapped up in his mathematical description, which is neither more nor less than the equation of motion of a compressible fluid. In brief, a mathematical formula can never tell us what a thing is, but only how it behaves. It can only specify an object through its properties, and these are unlikely to coincide in toto with the properties of any single macroscopic object of our everyday life. Michael Green I was standing with Mikhail, reviewing our work. We had converted the original terraforming kit to support the higher methane content and the denser atmosphere, and it looked good so far. We'd be able to bring the pilot plant on short, online shortly. I felt something. A brush against my consciousness, like someone was trying to get my attention. I looked around. My biosuit helmet obscured almost all my per peripheral vision. But there was nothing except rock and liquid methane lapping on the shore next to us. It's all quiet. What's wrong, Akasha? Mick had his meter out, checking the voltage lines. Our plan was to arc enough electricity into the baby greenhouse to cause a tiny explosion, making a natural gas heater, essentially that would burn indefinitely, keeping our biological strains alive until we were ready to engineer them for standalone service on the surface. I don't know. I saw the blue-purple tinges of mountains and the silvery lake next to us, but nothing interesting. A vague mumble somewhere in the back of my skull that I couldn't make out. Great, I'm hallucinating again. Then that little crackle of feeling that told me Michael was calling. Michael wants us back. Mick glanced at me in disbelief. Tell me that he rang us up and I've just gone deaf. I shook my head. Jesus, lady, tone down the spooky shit when you're with me, please. You're creeping me out. Sorry. Again, and suddenly, images of molten metal and chunks of earth crashing into our mod flooded my mind. I could see people running for the airlock as the ship, as the earth heaved and bits rained down on our tiny ship. Fire. Fire was everywhere. I shivered. But I followed Mick back to the dock. Michael was waiting for us. We had plans to engineer our plants to use a modified Krebs 4 cycle powered by methane and generating oxygen as a waste product. The only problem was figuring out how to produce water, 
and generating enough power to sustain the ship until we could let biology stand on its own. Phase two, with another 50 colonists, was getting ready to launch. We had a little under a year until all kinds of civilians would show up expecting air, food, and water. We needed power. I walked into the engine room of the ship. We had initially planned to use a converted nuclear fission generator, but that had assumed we would have glaciers of frozen carbon dioxide available on a Class A planet as a cooling material for the rods and as feedstock to generate liquid water, and that wasn't going to work here. We still had the reactor, but under heat the methane would explode. We could build a geothermal heat pump and dump the excess into the mantle of the planet, maybe. We had a drill, we had antifreeze and tungsten for the pipe system. But if it didn't work, we'd have a bunch of radioactive slag and no power source. For us or the newbies. Read death. Michael was the mechanical engineer. This got to be his baby. I lowered myself into the lockout compartment where he was sitting, staring at a scrawl of notes. Hey, I said. Hey, he said. He didn't look up. I think we're ready to put the pilot in the ground. He handed me the drawing. We needed something hot enough to test, but that was cool or small enough to contain if it failed. Manually pulling out a fuel rod and ramming it into a hole in the ground was our solution. Real scientific. I nodded. Michael would stage the rod. I got to set up the antifreeze and punch the hole in the earth. Fifty meters, give or take. I'd never been real strong on geophysics, and energy transfer was one of my weaker subjects, so let's hope this works out then. Given that I did the calculations, and given that Michael and I will probably die if I mess it up, no pressure. And there is the difference between science and engineering. I pulled myself up through the hatch and climbed into the drill. It was small, about the size of ground transport, and made me feel vaguely claustrophobic. I set up the well, dropped the bit, and started her up. We only needed two pipes run like a horseshoe underneath a lead basket, and fortunately, we had a flexible bit and router. It only took a few hours to run the pipe, complete the dig-out for the fuel rod, and pour the antifreeze. I could feel something pulling at my attention. As I laid the last bit against the support, I could suddenly see through the pipeline. Just like that. I stopped seeing the little scrap of land through my visor and was flying down the pipeline instead, tracing the scars in the earth like, little drone, like a little drone pilot. I could see the weakness in the crust, the thinness of the pipe, and I felt the cool drops of ethylene glycol, like diving into a pool. The earth pressed on my skin, compressing me smaller and smaller before shooting me back up into the fuel rod chamber, and I was back. Frozen, with one hand up, not breathing, looking again at the little scrap of gray rock in my visor. Jesus Christ, what was that? Akasha! Michael's voice rang in my head through the implant. Are you ready? I'm good to pull this thing. I shook it off. Go crazy later. Focus. I need you to focus. I'm ready. Send it. I felt a shimmer in the rock. Michael was using the exoskeleton, a giant thing built of tungsten carbide, to slowly move one of the fuel rods out of the containment area. In the cold atmosphere, the heat from the rod shimmered like waves. I held my breath. If there wasn't enough ventilation, the thing would explode right there in the open. Dead, dead, dead. But no, the robot slipped it into the heat pump as gracefully as any dancer, and I felt my heart jump just a little. Not dead yet. I let my breath out. The meter on the basket started spitting out power readings. It was working. The thermal heat pump under the ground was dissipating the waste heat and generating usable power. I felt a smile coming on. 
And then I felt the ground fracture, almost bending. The rock was melting. I could feel it. Again, that odd perspective change happened in my head. I could vaguely see Michael falling, the balancing mechanisms of the suit failing as the solid ground became liquid. I could feel fires, the beginning of the explosion that was coming as the heat ignited the atmosphere. And then I was dropping deep, deep into the earth, thrust down to the place where earth became fire and fire became metal and something snapped in my head. Just like in the quasar, for a moment, reality fractured into indescribable patterns. Fractals of shape and color were swirling around me with each corresponding to a different chemical compound, a different pressure differential, a shape of what could be wrapped up in what was, like the essence of the universe was laid out in mathematical forms. It was almost effortless to reach out and line up the patterns. Just there. As my mental fingers moved the fractals into the most beautiful pattern, the shapes snapped into place and light, nothing but light, filled every speck of my being. Right before blood and agony ripped through my skull and deep fissures opened my skin down to the bone. I woke up. I was safe in my bunk. It was night. The station was quiet and dark. Right. Mac threw me out. My head was ringing. No, it was actually ringing. It was Hal. Ding. Incoming call. Will you accept? Ugh. Who calls it? I looked at the little clock. 3 a.m. Yes, you daffy machine. I accept. Hello? Who could possibly need me at 3 in the morning? I rubbed my face and tried to turn back into my pillow, but I pulled away. The thing was soaked with sweat. I looked down. My PJs were soaked, and I was disgusting. Um, hello. This is third-class manager Otten. My eyebrows raised. A little early for a social call, third-class. Normally I wouldn't pull rank, but honestly, 3 a.m. people. Is there no decency in the world? Yes, ma'am, I am so sorry for the interruption, but you've received an urgently coded message. It came first class with a read immediately on the download data title. How did you get shifted to nights, Otten? Oh, I asked for them. I heard a smile in her voice. It keeps me away from the most of, keeps me away from most of the truly terrible people on this station. But seriously, someone wants you to read this right now. I stood up and stripped for a quick shower, dropping my disgusting laundry into the chute. Who's it from? A Major Michael Johnson. Mm, never heard of him. I don't deal with service brass. Must be a miscode. I closed the laundry chute lid and started up the water in my tiny shower. No, I checked it twice and asked for a confirmation code on the second download. This sounds awfully important. Will you give me permission to download it to your personal file? I shrugged more to myself since she couldn't see. Why not? Great. Thank you for being so nice. Most people are just awful this early. I relaxed into the hot water, washing my face and feeling better. Some dream again. Good grief. If only I could remember. No problem, Otten. Thank you. Good night. I clicked off, finished the shower, and went to get my stupid glasses so I could read the stupid thing from the stupid major. Two, second class engineer Singh from Major Michael Johnson. Engineer Singh, you may not remember me, but we once served together many years ago at Rigel Kantaris 4. I've been tracking your progress at Explorer 3, and Major Daniels has been kind enough to request my technical assistance as a consulting resource. 
First, I would like to compliment you on your work. You've always been thorough and extremely creative, but this solution is even more elegant than usual, and we here at Hate Our Team were very impressed. Due to your past performance, however, I would like to strongly urge you not to take the field team lead. Please don't go to the terra surface. The last time you did that, it did not go well. I'm not at liberty to discuss it any further, but please believe me when I say you should not be down there for startups. You should probably not even be on the planet when it starts up. Please contact me with any questions. I will do my best to answer. This in no way is a comment on your skills or your technical expertise. You're more than capable of leading the field team. However, you should absolutely not, under any circumstances, do so. Respectfully, Major Michael Johnson, hate our team commander. Bullshit, I thought, shaking my head at the nerve of the stranger. Some major sticking his nose into my business, as if I was going to let anyone else down there. How delete this thing? I don't even know the man, and he sure as hell doesn't know a thing about me. Bunch of nonsense. I went back to bed. Michael was looking down at me. Oh, I was lying down. This is good information, I thought absently. I was sort of floaty. Thoughts drifted in, and they drifted back out again. I snuggled a little into warm, soft sheets. Oh yes, this is quite nice. I've never been high before. I loved the way the sheets felt against my skin. I rubbed my calf up and down for the sheer joy of it. Michael watched it and scowled at me. It's twice I thought I was going to die, only to find you in the middle of a wreckage circle, face down, unconscious, bloody, and my own butt preciously unharmed with no crisis in sight. What the hell did you do? His voice is lovely, I thought. I like the way he said his R's. I really did feel fabulous. I have no idea what you're talking about, I said, and was pleasantly surprised to find out how nice the words felt in my mouth. All rumbly and colorful. A pleasant shot of honeysuckle wafted down to me, and I turned. Hi, Elise. Whatever this is that you gave me is fantastic. Can I have some more? I felt like it would be nice to close my eyes for a while, so I did. The lovely, rumbly voices continued over me, but I was too tired to care. The scene shifted again. Now I was healthy, healed. The same images from the first dream had morphed into a proper outpost instead of a tiny ship and an emergency module. The pilot was going well. We were at 90% efficiency at the nuclear plant, and Michael and I wanted to see if the geothermal vent we'd installed to route power to a full-size greenhouse nearby was working. The little versions using a small bit of combustion to do it just weren't providing enough heat, and the poor little Frankenstein plants couldn't seem to grow under such cold conditions. So my captain and I were trudging out onto the rock to see how our pet heat pump was doing. I tried to catch a glimpse of him out of the corner of my eye, but the stupid environmental suit's visor had zero peripheral vision. I could picture him, though, all lanky and broad, with those big hands. I sighed a little to myself. This is stupid. Trapped on a dirt ball a bazillion miles from home, and I'm lovesick over some stuck-up officer. What is wrong with me? I tried to shake off that feeling of self-disgust and started looking for the pump. Work was always an acceptable substitute for crazy. It was pumping like a charm. The greenhouse was a cozy 371 Kelvin, and our freaky little critters were growing nicely. Water consumption, methane consumption, oxygen production were all going exactly as planned. I made a couple notes in my notebook, feeling that pleasant hum of satisfaction that meant all was where it should be. Michael seemed pleased as well. 
When he turned to see me, he was smiling, and the wrinkles around his eyes seemed more relaxed. This is going exceptionally well, he said, handing me the pad with the voltage and power consumption ratios. I nodded and made another little note in the logbook. Twelve weeks in, and all's well, the little lines told me. He motioned to the ridgeline next to us. What do you say we make a quick survey of next door? I'd like to start work on building the barracks for phase two guys as quickly as we can. He looked down at his notes. I received a letter from General Ido yesterday saying that the launch had gone well and we should be seeing them in about four months or so. I think this should be enough time. Sure. We stepped back into the blue-gray surface. The ridgeline was literally right next door. We had wanted something to provide a natural shelter against the prevailing winds and ion storms that occasionally swept the surface. My landing job of our little ship, and thus the staging ground for all of our equipment, was in the worst spot it possibly could have been. Out in the open, no resources within half a mile, no protection from the elements, nothing. Granted, I wasn't really capable of finding something better at the time, but the ship was designed to stay on the ground and convert to living quarters once landed. There were no second chances. So we'd have to set up the new colonist quarters in something more comfortable. Our fusion reactor was online, the big one. We had already sunk the wells for the heat pumps, making sure to use solid granite-like bedstone instead of the sandstone our little pilot pump was in. A major oversight. So all we needed to do was run the underdrain system and get the last little Frankenstein plants and microbes ready for their first big day in the ice cube, and our proto-surface would be complete. The colonists would show up to a big garden, comfortable barracks, and we'd be ready to start work on the full terraform. We dropped the fusion reactor in a nearby cave that happened to have a nice skin of magnetite, which gave us a lovely electromagnetic shield when we ran a bypass current across its face. Michael was considering blasting a tunnel from the cave to the base of the ridgeline for easy access. We could set up a transformer and power station in the middle under the mountain and run the water pipes and conduit through there to power everything with easy access. All our initial surveys had marked this area as extremely stable, no geotechnical or seismic concerns at all. So imagine our concern as we stepped into the cave and felt rumbling under our feet. What was that? Michael had frozen and was looking at the ground with one foot up and his hands splayed out like he was waiting to get thrown off balance. I don't know, I said, reaching out to skim my fingers along the wall. At the touch of my fingers, the rock groaned again, a deep, raw sound. My heart sped up. Why is it, Michael grumped and started moving determinedly to the connecting tunnel in the back, that every time I take you outside, freaky shit starts happening. We moved into the tunnel. I don't know, Michael. I don't mean to do these things. His relaxed look was gone, and he was moving purposefully down the cavern tunnel, measuring wall density and thickness for the final drill operation. It's probably not even my fault, you know. I have been down here dozens of times with Andrew and Mick, and the earth never moved. Not once. The first time I take you in here, bad stuff happens. There was more muttering after that, but I kept my attention on the rock and tried to ignore words like creepy and cursed. Not nice. There was another groan of rock, more of a feeling than a sound. I was conscious of that hum again. I could feel the energy of the reactor behind us like warm sunlight on my skin, and the sounds the earth were making were so interesting. I squatted down, seeing the complexity of the rock as if for the first time. The shocking beauty of all those crystals lining together, self-assembled. I was dimly conscious that my hands were sinking into the rock, morphing into crystal themselves, 
Suddenly the pattern was laid out before me. Rocketing and interlocked figures of fractal topology were lining up in my brain, beautiful shapes begging to be rearranged, each chemical glowing with unique atomic structure that was repeated and ad infinitum, asking where I wanted it to go. Perfect. I was filled with light and glowing beauty as pattern after pattern slid across my third eye. Until somebody slapped me. A man. Man? I blinked away the colors and infinite patterns to see a dull brown primate staring at me. We're in a cave. Yes, a cave. It was much prettier now. What had been rough-hewn stone was cut smooth. A hot mineral spring bubbled up out of the rock and cascaded through lovely patterns before disappearing into the stone wall on the other side. I dipped my fingers into it, and my biosuit recognized it as water. Real water. How nice. The man was staring at me. He was on one knee, his hands braced against the stone like he thought it was going to move. How odd. Of course the earth isn't going to move, I thought. Brilliant, agonizing pain suddenly shot from my spine into every cell. My skin split and remade itself. Bones broke and rehealed. Lightning threaded through me in a moment of consuming, burning, shocking agony. I cried out with each surge and slammed my head into the wall in the same rhythm. Just. Make. Stop. Darkness. I woke up into warmth. Michael had pulled the suit off and had let me curl into an emergency blanket. I checked my biosuit. It registered an atmosphere of 20% oxygen, high levels of liquid water. Wow. He was sans suit, holding his hands in the mineral spring, watching it wash over his hands. He must have heard me as he looked over. Hey, he said. Hey. I tried to get up, but the lightning arcing through my brain convinced me that staying in one place with my eyes closed was a much better choice. I felt him next to me, felt him settling my head in his lap. His warm, wet fingers made soothing little circles around my temples. Oh, that's nice. So, Akasha, want to tell me how you just did this? What? I cracked an eye and shut it again as it made the world rotate in a disturbing fashion. I didn't do anything. My voice felt raw, like I'd been drinking sand. A snort from up above me. Bullshit. One minute you're kneeling in the dirt, the next the cavern goes psychedelic. I was actually seeing rock heave itself apart and you just faded. Like you were part of the cavern, not a person. The fingers moved to my hair, stroking my scalp in elongated movements, combing out the long brown strands. I would have frowned, but my head hurt too much, and I was starting to fall asleep. Don't be ridiculous, I murmured. You must have been hallucinating. The fingers stopped. No, don't stop. Honey, you've locked us in. We're trapped. And the electromagnetic shield is stopping communications. Somebody is going to have to find us and drill in to get us. I opened my eyes in shock, lurched up, saw nothing but darkness in the suit. He was right. The entrance to the cavern, to the tunnel, was now solid rock. We were trapped. The pain in my head drove me back down, and I curled into the fetal position, and the darkness wrapped around me again. When I woke up, I was stretched out against Michael with a soft whir above my head. It was dark. He had turned off the Enviro light suits. 
and virosuit lights and turned on the scrubbers. I reached up to feel my helmet above me, one emergency blanket below and one covering us. Hey, his sleepy voice rumbled against my back. It's okay. Called Nick. He needs two days to get us out. How? How did you get a call through all this rock? He shifted. I felt like it was supposed to be a shrug. I jacked my implant with the voltmeter and amped up the signal. That must have felt like taking a dental drill to your skull, I thought, but didn't say anything. Yes, he answered. Felt a lot like that. What? I didn't say anything. You said it must have felt like taking a dental drill to my skull. I agree. It was awful, which is why I'd like to lie here in peace and contemplate death in quiet. Poor baby. His chuckle was rich, relieved, and exhausted sounding. Poor baby indeed. Pity me. Go to sleep, please. His breast came deep and even as I curled into him and went back to sleep. Michael's arm was around me. I was pulled so close to him that I could feel his breath stirring the hairs behind my ear. He was not asleep. I stretched for the sheer pleasure of feeling my body against his, and I felt his heartbeat pounding against my back. I couldn't have spoken, even if I wanted to. All I could think of was having him, having that first thrust of him inside me, and that deep need that sent a low moan running through me. I couldn't see him in the dark, but so close with his biosuit stripped halfway down, he smelled like the sea, like wood in the sun. I ached. So when I felt his lips on my neck, when I felt his hands kneading me closer, I turned into him and let myself fall. I came screaming, not just a little moan, not just a vague sense of completion, absolute screaming. I could feel the same thing rip through him. N no, we were together. It was like we were one person. I could feel his body as if it was my own. I knew where he wanted me to touch him, knew how to move, felt everything as if it was my own and the scream felt more like it had been ripped from my spine than from my lungs. For a moment, I forgot who I was, where I was, everything except the wave of sensation that had just happened. It wasn't pleasure, it wasn't pain. It was like being hit by lightning, and all I could do for a moment was breathe and shiver. Holy fuck. Michael was shaking. I could feel him. I couldn't talk yet. But yeah, holy fuck indeed. What are you? He was face down, still partially wrapped around me, so it came out more like a mumble, but he felt fantastic. I'm pretty sure you were the one who made the earth move that last time, I thought, amusing myself. He made a noise like a groan and shifted to his side, pulling me in close. Stop. Please answer me. What are you? How are you doing this? He didn't seem to be all that distressed to find out he was cuddling a freak. One hand rested on my hip like an anchor. You aren't a freak, and I'm not going to turn down a good thing. I felt his lips skim the hollow behind my ear. I don't know. I don't know where any of this comes from. It's like I see what should be and what is, and I just line up the patterns. I shifted a little to encourage his hands a little more and arch my back just a little. I felt his breathing change. I feel like we need to talk about this. His voice was incredible, husky, deep, and just a little raw. I could feel another moan just starting in his voice. 
Can we please talk later, I thought. Later, remind me, he said as he moved over me. Oh God, another scream is coming. 